0: grandparents decided that I need to go to church more because they thought that I was I <laughs> my nan thought that I was I may have been possessed by the sins of Solomon Gomorrah so yeah <laughs> that was not cool it wasn't exactly like an exorcism but they were like hey so we think you should start going to church more because you know we don't want you to be led astray by the sins of the world
1: Hello welcome to another episode of I'm Coming Out, a podcast where people tell me, Johnny Harvey, their coming out stories and this week we've two guests, they're Nick and Dan from the 802 podcast. Nick and Dan are two friends who met a few years back at a house party and instantly hit it off. Dan is from Norfolk but now lives in London and Nick grew up in the much more exotic and warmer climes of Trinidad, but now lives up north in Manchester. Their 802 podcast was born out of their friendship and the fun they have together, but has now grown to include guests, such as myself a few weeks back. It's so important that there is much more representation for people of color in the gay media. So I really want to share more of their stories and help to amplify their voices here on the podcast the interview was recorded remotely of course I'm still working from my very small makeshift studio in my wardrobe at home if you haven't listened already I do indeed record a podcast about coming out of the closet from a closet you did hear that correctly I chatted with Dan about why race was more of an issue for him than his sexuality growing up in Norfolk why homophobic abuse went over his head for the most part, how he became a fundamentalist Christian in his early teens, yes, that is what I just said, why his church's lack of acceptance ultimately forced him to leave, and lots of other things. And I chatted with Nick about what it was like growing up in Trinidad where homosexuality was illegal until recently, going to secret underground gay parties there when he was a teenager, What happened when his dad discovered he had rented a gay movie from Blockbuster, renting movies from the video store, they were the good old days, the traumatic experience of his first boyfriend outing him to his parents as a teenager, his crush on Dua Lipa's dad, and lots of other things. You can contact me by emailing me at johnny at imcomingoutpod.com and follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at imcomingoutpod. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating, review and subscribe, as it really helps me and other people to discover the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening and here it is. Hello Dan, welcome to my podcast.
2: Hi, thanks for having me, Johnny. It's good to be here. It's my pleasure. How are you today? I am uh, really good. Just before we started, I've, I've kicked the cat out of the room. Oh, no. Honestly, she's she's too much right now. She's trying to play and her way of playing is climbing up me. So I didn't want to fill your podcast with my tiny little screams. So she's in another room. She's still a kitten, though, so it's kind
1: of normal, feral behaviour. She's still exploring the world and her surroundings.
2: Yeah, and apparently the world and her surroundings are my thighs. Are you more of a dog guy or a cat guy, or you like them both? Oh, I'm, so I'm far more of a cat guy. So when we grew up, I grew up with two dogs who both did, did not like me. Well, actually, no, that's a lie. One of them actively disliked me. The other one was indifferent to my existence, but not in like the fun way that cats are, in a sort of like, I'm better than you. And your mum loves me more than she loves you kind of way. So tell me a little bit more about where you grew up and your background, Dan. So I was born in Hackney in London. Oh, cool. Um, So I'm the middle child, if you can't tell by my desperate need for attention. And my mum had two other sons, one older, one younger. Um, And then when I was four, we moved out to a small town in North Norfolk just like out in the countryside by the farms. We were rural enough that my younger brother used to sneak off into the farms to steal like dill and sugar beet. Oh, Um, really? And he just eat those because he was a bumpkin. Oh,
1: that sounds lovely because Norfolk's really beautiful, isn't it? It's got really
2: lovely countryside. It is. It's really beautiful. It's just difficult to appreciate that kind of beauty when you're a sort of bored 14-year-old. But I always like had the call cool of the city. I was like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do something and be somebody in the city. So yeah, I moved to back to London when I was when I was 18. And did you come back to Hackney? No, so I have <laughs> in my I <laughs> say so 10 10 years now. I've been here and I've been so many different places. So I actually moved back to West Norwood, which is in um, South yeah, London. I've been there. And then I like I moved to Norbury, which is in North Croydon. I lived it by Trafalgar Square. I lived in Elephant Castle, North Greenwich, South Harrow, Rainers Lane. I know I'm missing, oh, Tower Bridge. I know I've missed a few in there as well. I've just, I, I bounce around.
1: You've been everywhere. You've been near Tower Bridge and Trafalgar Square. That's incredible.
2: Yeah, and so Trafalgar Square was my uh, student hall's. So oh. I remember my brother moved me in, and he we were like going through the building, and he was like, "This is like Hogwarts and so what was your awareness of homosexuality growing up? So when I was young i sort of I kind of always knew it was a thing. Um, I remember one of the um, one of the sort of stories that I remember my mum telling me was we were going through old photos, and um, there was a picture of her and her friends from a in a drag bar in like the late eighties or mid eighties, maybe Uh, it was before she had my brother. So yeah, mid eighties and (laughs) there's like three drag queens and they're all dressed up as Cher. And my mom was like, one of them was the most beautiful man I've ever seen. And I was like, look at this like fun, interesting community that you're enjoying. So that I remember seeing that and just being very intrigued by it. That was sort of my first, I guess you would say, First time I remember encountering Mm. the sort of LGBT community and without really knowing what that was. And were
1: you ever subjected to homophobic bullying in school?
2: Yes, but I didn't know what it was. So I remember, so I was, I grew up a very precocious camp little child. I was very loud as like a lot of gay kids can probably attest to. And I was just like, I had my interests. I like to perform as well. So I used to put on, like, little performances at family barbecues and things, and, like, just... I was just a silly little little kid. And I remember... So, like, growing up in Norfolk, I remember being called gay quite a lot. But also, like, part of me... (laughs) The the good thing about being me is that I'm completely oblivious. Unless you're sitting me down and telling me to my face, I am insulting you. I didn't actually really realise it was happening. So... I remember, yeah, being called gay and being like, oh, that's oh, okay, this man, well, not man, this boy called me gay, okay, uh, whatever that is, but, like, I grew up in rural Norfolk, so the gay stuff was probably, at least when I was younger, less relevant to me than, like, the racial stuff that I experienced, so there was a lot more tension and a lot more aggravation towards me because of my race than it was of my, like, I'd call it gayness now, but it was probably better described as campness back when I was a kid. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? You mentioned there there was
1: more tension towards your your race than your sexuality.
2: Yeah, so this is, we're probably talking like primary school at the moment. So I can't even remember how old you are at primary school, but definitely not a teenager. And you, like growing up in, in Norfolk, so my town was like 6,000 people, which is no, not a lot. And it's not a lot of people from different backgrounds and different understandings. So you you are very aware from a very young age that your skin color is something that will stick you out in a crowd, and people will notice. And my mom was very clear about it. So so I'm I'm mixed uh, Jamaican British, and my mum is British side, and she's white, but she was always very careful to like mm-hmm. let us know that there's nothing wrong with the color that we are, and anybody who has an issue with the color that we are is in the wrong and it's their fault, it's not yours. There was one time where these two boys um, who actually lived down the road from me were like, this was the worst my like primary school bullying got to. I can't remember what they actually did, but I remember them basically like hurling abuse at me while I was just like living my little brown gay fantasy life and having a good time. And apparently they wanted to uh, to get in the way of that. And my mom just marches down to the school and she grabs my teacher and she's like, this is what happens and what are you going to do about it? Uh, and my teacher at the time, shout out Mrs. Mash. Her name was Mrs. Mash. Just shows you how iconic she actually was. Just calmed my mum down. As right in away. potatoes. As in potato mash. As in mash potato. She was great, Mrs. Mash. She'd have been on Kids TV. Oh, I, right. I okay. stand by that. Just like diffused the situation with my mum and then the school had a, a like an intervention with those kids as well.
1: I'm well, I'm really sorry to hear that you had to experience the racism that you did. That sounds like you've such a great quality to have that a lot of the homophobic bullying did go over your head that it didn't cut too deep.
2: Yeah, it's a good it's a good way of experiencing childhood. It doesn't lead to the best stories though because I'm sure there are some juicy things that I could dis, like talk about but I genuinely cannot remember them happening.
1: I wish I was like that because I was just hypersensitive to all of the sniggers and the dirty looks and all the comments and the digs and everything. Like, I, I don't know. I, I find it really hard to block it out. I just took it really, really badly. But anyway, and when exactly did you start to realise that you might be gay?
2: So me, <laughs> me realising that I was attracted to men, like boys and men, coincided with me becoming a fundamentalist christian (laughs) really yeah (laughs) where did that come from (laughs) (laughs) so so the fundamentalist christian story it's very there's a very simple like blow by blow play of how this happened is that i went to um i went to high school and i met um, my group of friends and i always like gravitated towards kids that probably would be kids like the weirder kids um at school Mm. definitely i was just one of them but with, along with being the weirder kids, you often also get the Christian kids um, who take it very seriously. So I sort of met those as well. And we used to, they used to run like a youth group on, I think it was a Wednesday lunchtime at our school, where we just like get together, play some games, and then they'd talk about a little bit about like a little bit from a Bible lesson, like nothing more than five minutes. And then they would we'd, like get on with the rest of our day. And that was cool. Was it a Christian school? No, no, I went to just like a secular comprehensive Um, um, in my town, like the school that everybody goes to. When you're in a town of like 6,000, the school choice (laughs) is limited to one. Mm. So everybody just goes to the school. So we went to that one. But the uh, church building where the volunteers who ran this came from was like three minutes from my house. And on a Friday night, they used to do a youth group again, which is like two hours, play games. There'd be like a little talk again. There's always a little talk. So it's got quite a nice message. But, you know, what you do is you you encounter the people from the church who are genuinely just so lovely and interested in your life and want to talk to you and want to get to know you that it's almost it becomes infectious. And it's like it's just difficult to like not continually like engage with this, the stories part and the Christianity part of it, because you're like these people are genuinely really nice and I like, like to be around nice people. so. And then I went on that Sunday and then just kept going, just kept going. So I was a fundamentalist Christian from the age of 13 to about 19.
1: That's a long time.
2: Yeah, six years. And like six, imagine like teenage years of fundamentalist Christian. And I'm talking like full Bible bashing, like everybody needs to be converted. Have you heard the good word of our Lord Jesus Christ, fundamentalist Christian? to go to christian summer camp for a week um we did uh, a christian mission once to serbia to help set up a uh, a, like a summer time group for some roma children we did we had youth group every friday youth group every tuesday for all the church going kids which i started to go to and then eventually started to lead by the end of the sort of my time at that church i was giving and the occasional sermon on a Sunday to the full church. it really? so there's me, like, 16-year-old me with this voice, telling people about how, like, the word of Jesus, the love of Jesus will save them from their sins.
1: And so when did you come across the anti-gay teaching in the Christian religion, or did you come across it at any point?
2: So it was never something that we really it was never something that was sort of like thrown at us while we were at church because usually the church would discuss like issues that are relevant to the congregation and where they are. And like the threat of the gays hadn't really reached rural Norfolk then. But I do remember at like the Christian camps, there would often be like a seminar or a session on like homosexuality and like why it's wrong and how you need to deal with it. Oh, Um, that's not cool. I know it got so... But when I moved to London, actually at eighteen, I moved as part of a like a leadership training year. You go, you go away, you volunteer with a church for a year. Um, you have a project, and like every month, you also do training with everybody else in your region who's doing the same thing. And it was at that point when I was in London that I was like people are talking about this gay thing quite a lot, and <laughs> you have meetings with a uh, and like an older person in the church. They're called a discipler. Every single one of my meetings every week was about my attraction to men. And it got to the point where I was like, I'd been doing this for six months and I was dreading going to these meetings every week because I was like, surely there are other sins of mine we can talk about. Can we talk about my pride or like my propensity for swearing every now and then? Why does every week got to be about my like sexual attraction to men and the fact that I'm watching like man on man porn? Like, why is that? Why is that the only sin that Jesus has time for in my life? Surely there are other ones. Did you open
1: up to the rest of the people in the church that you were gay? Oh no. You told them that you thought you might be gay. Well then why were they lecturing you all the time on homosexuality? But that
2: was that was just the one Susten guy. Themselves. Yeah, that was just the one guy that I had to meet every week and I like I had told him. Actually, if I if I'm telling the full story, so growing up I sort of knew I was attracted to men from, like, the age of 13, but I never, no, like, mm. acting on it at all. And I was also never attracted to anybody in my school. I never had, like, a crush on a boy that I went to school with. It was just, like, so I had a girlfriend for pretty much that whole time. And I, genuinely loved her and was attracted to her. And I was, like, there's just, I'd like, again, just my obliviousness. I was, like, I'm just not even looking at any of you in a way to be, like, oh, I'm I find you attractive. It's just not something that happened until... When we'd go to this Christian summer camp, there was one guy who used to come and pray with me. Every I'd only ever see him at the summer camp, and he'd always want to come over and pray with me. And that was when the moment was like, oh, my God, I've got a crush on a person in that real life. That sounds
1: like the premise for a, a gay porno. Yeah,
2: yeah. And if you were not 15 at the time. <laughs> oh, no, that'd be against the law. Sorry, That would, Sorry, that that would be I mean. against the law. And against <laughs> that'd be creepy. Any sense of decency.
1: Okay, theory. I thought you were 18, 19. Yeah. <laughs> And so you were kind of reeled in by the sense of community that the Christian Church gave you,
2: fully. And like, so when I moved churches, when I moved away from uh, my town to the church in South London, I like I lost my friends, which was like part of the. Like, I mean, I didn't lose them; they were still there. I was still talking to them, but I didn't have that like weekly interaction with a bunch of people I really liked. And the thing that was meant to like glue me together with this new group of people were that we all like followed like the teachings of the Bible and we were all Christians and we were all on the same mission together. And I just, at that point, didn't feel that at all. But what I did feel was an overwhelming sense of tiredness about having to talk about my attraction to men, because to me, it wasn't that massive of a deal. To me, I was just like, this is just sort of a thing that I am and apparently have to deal with for the rest of time. But anytime I had like a discussion with either my church leader or my discipler, it was the only thing anybody ever wanted to talk about, which actually was quite frustrating for me because at that point I was young in my gaydom and I was like, there's more to me than being gay.
1: So you were very accepting of your sexuality yourself. You didn't struggle with it at all. But at the same time, you wanted to stay a part of this church. So at what point did you decide to
2: leave the church? So by the by the end of my sort of training year, I was I was pretty much exhausted with the church, and I like had ruled out a future in like church leadership or working for the church. Um, I went to university, so I went to LSE in London. Oh, what, London School of Economics. London School of Economics and Political Science. Oh, very impressive. Well done. Thank you. I uh, was fully on one of the not very impressive courses, so it's not that amazing. Uh, no, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I got to uni and I was I was still sort of attending the the church in South London and sort of trying to help out with with their sort of stuff. But then I just met like a bunch of people from like all over the world with a bunch of different backgrounds and everything and I was like I was just looking at at it for the for my first year and I was like there's not much desire from me to stay as part of this church and at that point it was this church it wasn't the church so the church widely I was like maybe I just like don't fit in at the South London one maybe if I find one near me or I find one somewhere else I'll I'll fit in and I'll feel better and I'll keep going so did leaving the church
1: and you coming out to your friends and family did those two things coincide with one another so
2: leaving the church there was two there was two moments where I was like this this isn't for me. The first one was um when the gay marriage debate was being the gay marriage law was being debated in the u k and I got an email from my church back in Norfolk essentially inviting everybody uh, every one of their members because I was still on their membership list to an emergency prayer meeting they were holding to to pray against this. Um, oh, angel God. Of the one good thing about going to church for six years is you do become very accustomed with the arguments they make and you can bring up a pretty decent counter-argument that's like based in the Bible as well. Because if you're arguing against a Christian and you're not arguing from the Bible, I promise you they're not listening. Uh, But if you can argue from the Bible to dispute them, then at least you're singing from the same hymn sheet, pretty literally. And I just, I basically quoted to them like the verses I knew about marriage and what the Bible says about it. And essentially questioned to them, like, If we are so against this law change, why why are we not praying against people who aren't technically Christians getting married or people of different faiths getting married or people who have been divorced who are getting remarried? All of these things are equally as sinful in the eyes of God, yet there's not a a massive movement from you guys to ensure that they remain illegal and that people aren't allowed to do it and to make their choice. I essentially said to them, uh, the role of the church is to make sure that the members of its church are living in a way that they've chosen to live, not to ensure that everybody else who hasn't chosen that way of living is forced to follow our rules. That's not why we're here. It's not what we're doing. And to deny people who have found somebody that they want to spend the rest of their life with, or at least a long enough time with them to want to get married to them, to deny them that option because your idea of God says that that's wrong was to me foolish. And not only foolish on like a basically caring about humanity kind of way but foolish from a biblical standpoint as well i never received a, a response to that email so that was the last communication i had with them and that was my final moment of this is part of my life so it was at that point i i stopped looking for another church and was like let's just let's see you let's see what life's like if i can decide which way i want to go and which direction And was that I want the point where
1: you came out to your friends and family nope
2: no 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 um, nope. i'm sorry i know this podcast is called i'm coming out and i haven't mentioned coming out and we're we're getting into the interview uh but we'll get there <laughs> no i came out so my first official coming out my telling somebody else because i've decided i'm gonna live this way happened in the nando's okay but yeah so i i was with a, a friend who during our first year of uni we'd like um gotten close in a particular way it was like a very flirty almost like so that kind of might have been a relationship thing, but wasn't kind of thing. This is a girl, by the way. And I like sat her down and I was like, I just feel like you should be the first to know that I am attracted to men. I'm pretty sure I said bisexual, which it's probably true. I have an interesting sexuality where I'm like, probably like I most of my time, I would say I was like, I function as a gay man. But there are definitely attractions to women that exist. And so how did you come out to your family, to your brothers and to your mother? So I came out to my mum not long after that. Um, I can't actually remember when, but I remember her being very happy. Because she was always like, I knew you were my little princess. I knew it. Getting really excited. And she was like, I remember the time when we went shopping and you picked out a Barbie. And that was what you were having. And nobody could tell you any different and I was like thanks mum <laughs> she means well she's she's not far from the stereotypes but she she really means well but yeah she was my like just very happy and it was it was always oh, one of those great. cases it was always one of those cases where it was like obvious for everybody else and they were just waiting for me to finally accept mm. it
1: you're the first person whose mother was really really happy i think am i i think most Yeah, I think most people's parents were okay about it and they were relatively accepting. But I I think yours was the first parent who was really joyous and really excited about uh, their son being gay. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's, um, well, that's nice for me and hopefully a a story we'll be hearing more of. Yeah. I was a lot more concerned about having to tell my brothers. Why is that? Well, my younger brother, my younger brother's always been like very sort of, open-minded and like a bit of a free spirit. My, uh, my older brother is, well, he's like a builder.
1: My family are
2: all builders. Oh, poor you. How did you manage that?
1: yeah I know it's weird I I don't know I worked on a building site once for a few weeks but I got like my dad is a builder my two older brothers are builders my uncle's a builder my cousin's a builder but anyway back to
2: your story enough about me sorry Dan (laughs) so many builders well you understand like there's just like a masculine energy around construction and people who work in construction um actually I didn't realize that so many of them are either gay or in the closet or on the down low but that's something i learned in later life but at that point i was like he's always been like just a like as growing up as kids me and him like there was never any real animosity between us but we just didn't we weren't on the same like wavelength as children in the same house so when it came to telling Mm. like specifically my older brother i was very nervous and i remember doing i remember i did it on boxing day because we were all together and i was like guys I just I just want to let you know this about me and then my younger brother went yeah yeah cool walked off my older brother stayed sat there and he looked at me and I was just like kind of looking down and he went Dan are you happy I said yeah I'm happy and then I was like okay I'm happy for you and then we carried on with the day and I was like god damn it I'm so prepared for an argument I'm so prepared to have to defend my position and no no one of you wants to fight me on this everyone just wants to sit and be happy for me which i know is something terrible to be annoyed by because I, that's a privilege not a lot of us get but like if i'm honest with myself there was just a little annoyance there because i would prepared all my arguments and my storm out the door and i'll never speak to you again moments and what i got is love and acceptance which i'm actually um very very happy for
1: they're such lovely coming outs they are yeah they're nice aren't they And just to finish off, I wanted to ask you, as the church was such a huge part of your life and you seem like such a spiritual person, have you found that sense of community or belonging anywhere else? Do you still have a spiritual dimension to your life since you left that other church you were a member of?
2: Um, So I don't think I have a, a necessarily like spiritual dimension to my life anymore, what I do think I have is I, I've taken a lot of the lessons on how to be a, a decent, good person with me, and I've I've kind of applied those to my life. So I feel like if I didn't have that church experience, I wouldn't I wouldn't be nearly as sort of compassionate as I am, or like attentive to people's needs. Also, like I'm such a server, I love to like I love I really like to host. I really like to make people feel welcome. I really like to Uh, like make people feel happy and comfortable. And that that's directly from uh, basically emulating my girlfriend's mum at the time who her whole thing was hosting and making people feel comfortable in their house and making sure that people knew if they could, they needed to come to anybody, they could come to her. And so it's, I've taken that part of it. I haven't really taken the sort of the spiritual angle on it. Um, I think for me, like, I think life is finite and it's it's more important to make sure that you're focused on creating an impact and bringing joy to people that you know right now and like making sure that you are establishing a community where people feel supported and protected right now than trying to sort of win yourself a spot in some heaven that might not be there. Because do you believe in heaven I and hell? I don't think I do anymore. I mean, I understand why people do, I understand why it's there. And I'm at no point going to discourage anybody from having their beliefs or taking that away from them. But for me, I think that it's, it's far more important to focus on what you can do now and the changes you can make now than to focus on what might happen when you've drawn your last breath and you, you're somewhere else or potentially nowhere else. I feel like a lot of these stories weren't really about being gay. no no it's fine it's part of your
1: your story it's part of your coming it's it's intertwined inextricably linked with you coming out and Mm -hmm. uh you i don't like the phrase coming to terms you accepting your sexuality but i remember reading that a theologian said that there was no heaven and hell in the bible at all that they the that Christianity used to believe in reincarnation, that it was a Roman emperor who changed it. But I'm like yourself, I, I am quite spiritual and I do. I was raised a Catholic and I, and I do occasionally go to church, but I just don't take any of the religious aspect of it seriously at all. Uh, so I, I suppose I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious. A lot of people don't like that expression or that phrase, but it, to me, it makes complete sense. And I just don't really, it'd be really hard to take the Catholic Church seriously at this point. I mean, there's like a huge scandal every single day. And there's no proof that, well, there's no proof exactly that Jesus Christ did exist. There is, he is likely to have existed at the time, but he more than likely did not write the
2: Bible. Is that
1: not correct? Yeah, so
2: Jesus like didn't write the Bible. The Gospels were written like hundreds of years afterwards, um, basically.
1: Yeah, by we don't know exactly who. More than likely, it was some sort of preacher at the time or some, you know, some priests. or And then we're all living our lives according to this book that we don't even know who wrote it exactly. It was probably just some homophobic blokes, more than likely. Yeah,
2: I mean, if you look at... We're well, really well, getting into Theology 101 here. But if you look at the character of Jesus from the Bible, he's actually really cool. Yeah. Jesus, the man in the book does like around him and like the lessons he teaches are all about like support people who have nothing support people who have been cast aside support people who you would consider other stop thinking that you're better than anybody else because you have some title also stop selling stop selling your trinkets in the temple that's amazing when he starts flipping tables and everything and he's like and also don't listen to people who say that they have authority and can lead you down the correct way by denying your every single right to exist. Like, stop doing all of that. Jesus himself is cool. It's everything around it that turns it to shit. Yes. So, yeah, I'd listen to Jesus before I'd listen to the church again.
1: Yeah, Jesus's values are at odds with with what's in the Bible itself. Yeah. They It doesn't add up. And for me, God is an energy and God is pure love and pure positive energy. So that is completely at odds with any type of homophobia or any type of hatred. So it just, to me, it it doesn't add up or make sense.
2: Yeah, and that makes sense for a lot of people. For me, the value was never in understanding all the Bible and following all the laws. The value was in hanging out with some really fun, genuinely lovely people who want the best for me that's where the value of religion was in my life dan
1: thank you so much for chatting with me today it's been an absolute pleasure i'm gonna have to go now and speak to your podcast co-host nick but
2: thanks so much for your time i'll let you get back to uh, misty yeah the uh, the cat is needed so we'll go make sure that she gets a cuddle and scratches the hell out of my legs
0: <laughs>
2: Dan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks for having me. So, tell me,
1: Nick, a little bit more about your background and where you grew up.
0: Yeah. So I grew up on a lovely island um, in the Caribbean called Trinidad and Tobago. Wow. It's a, um It's actually um, actually celebrated. I think was. I can't remember how many years. I might be wrong. They just celebrated independence from the UK just like a couple of days ago, which is. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. So they, they so they're a Commonwealth country. So I moved I grew up in um, a really, really poor um, village. I was probably the only kid who was doing drama, doing the choir, plus playing tennis and in the Boy Scout. So I was like, everything you didn't expect to see me doing I was doing basically and um so my life back home was very different because um I from a young age I knew um that my sexuality was different to everyone else's and I also I grew up in church so of course I always knew I, I was always fed the publications from the bible saying it's Adam and Adam and Eve this, and I always felt like an outcast for a very long time
1: so when you were growing up
0: yeah. as a child,
1: were you aware of the homophobic rhetoric coming from the church? Yes,
0: always. So um, because what else, there was something else on the horizon that was always there. It's like, if you were found to be homosexual, you could go to prison for a very long time. And plus I was church, So I was both, so society was telling me, oh, I can't be gay. And then the church is saying to me, I can't be gay. So it's like, I can't. So it's like, I was always like in my own bubble thinking, oh, my God, I have to pretend to be someone else. How did you stumble upon
1: an awareness of what homosexuality even was? Was it purely from what you heard in church or was it from your surroundings or the people around you?
0: You know what? That's that's a really good question. I'll tell you why um Thank because you. i grew up in church and i was always like being told, you know <laughs> being part being homo- like homosexuality is like wrong it's a sin yeah dot, 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 all that i and i i was i believed it i believed that i was wrong i believed that i didn't belong i thought oh something is half is definitely wrong with me and then when i saw members of um not my not the main members in my family, like my immediate family, like the people that I knew around me, and they used to talk about people that were gay, and they were used the word like baddie man" or bullet man" or whatever. And those words are like it's basically calling someone um, gay in in a in an awful roundabout way. And um, so I basically um, always believed that me being part of the LGBTQ community was wrong because I I was being fed. That And especially as well, because when I grew up in the Caribbean, when you see the news and they they publicize something about HIV, they always targeted homosexuality. So you have society, you have the church telling you it's wrong to be gay. You have the media saying homosexuals are the only people that have HIV and AIDS. And then you have family members saying, oh, well, that's wrong. So it's like, oh my God, what am I meant to do? So it really was like, it really was like, it was for me, I feel, I think it was, It was a really, really hard experience growing up at home.
1: Well, going back to your time in Trinidad, sorry, I should have Googled that earlier today so what were the laws around homosexuality growing up in the caribbean so i've heard just that from time to time i think i heard prince harry and Meghan markle were talking about it about how there's still a number of countries in the commonwealth where homosexuality or gay marriage is illegal Mm -hmm. so what was it like what is the situation where you grew up
0: when I was growing up, I was the laws were this. So they used to they the laws that they had was basically like if you were found to be um in any homosexuality act or even if if there was word that you might have been gay or anything like that, you were you could have either end up in prison just for someone saying that you're actually gay and even though, and if you was let me say you was to get caught holding hands with someone or kissing someone or even in a gay um, event or parties so a lot of the parties I used to go to when I was coming out were very underground so it was like you had to know someone to know someone to go somewhere because it was so because if word had got out to the masses and would have got to the police and stuff, they used to raid a lot, a lot of LGBTQ safe spaces because we didn't have anywhere open to be ourselves. So if when I used to grow up and I used to go out and stuff and try to be myself and find other people like myself, I would have to dress up like i was really straight really butch like wearing like a gold chain like with my head with my hat back just to fit in just to travel on public transport to get to these places and then when i get there i will transform into someone else i'll be wearing like a nice a vest and shorts and stuff because you didn't have you didn't have the luxury of having like jumping in a taxi or an uber or anything like that to get where i had to go and even if you got there you'll get id'd at the door
1: that sounds really, really terrifying. But going yeah. back to when did you realize that you were gay? What age were you?
0: Oh my God, I was 15. Do you know how I knew I was gay? This is really funny. <laughs> so, my sister and I had just got like, our parents had just afforded cable TV back home. And there yeah. was this one television show, which, well, it was actually two, there was Queer as Folk. And then there was, which was the, I saw the American version, not the UK version mm. because we didn't have the uh, UK television, but there was this one film called Trick. And if you've ever seen Trick. No. It's like, oh my God, it's like one of the first. Okay, gay I will fi- Google now. Yeah. It's one of the first gay films I have ever seen in my entire life. And I was, um... it's weird because it started, it didn't start out as a gay film and then it led to it. And I was like, oh my God. And it was weird because I saw that film, and naturally, my brain was like, "Oh my god, this is more. This is how I feel. This is what I want. I I, I want this. I need this. This is me." And of course, so um, what?
1: How?
0: <laughs> trick second. looks like a horror movie. No, what, was it, like a gay horror movie. No, it's not. It's not. It's not like a gay horror movie. Um, let me tell you. Um, I don't even know who act, who acts in it. It was. It's actually it's a is a romance comedy. It's with um. It stars John Paul Pittock and Christian Campbell. And Tori Spelling is in it. Oh, Tori Spelling. Okay, Yeah, <laughs> yeah I
1: remember from Beverly Hills, 902 yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So that was actually one of my first, 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 first gay, gay films. It literally came out, I must, tell you, I must tell you exactly, it was released in 1999. That was my first gay film I've ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? And then I um, ended up going to the blockbuster near my house. And, oh, um...
1: Blockbuster, Oh so <laughs> yeah. Sorry, uh, on, on a separate note, just quickly, there's, there still is one Blockbuster left in the world in Oregon. I just read that yesterday. But sorry, Nick, back to your story.
0: Is it? That's incredible. Um, yeah, it's uh... like a
1: tourist attraction. Sorry, oh back to Oh my god,
0: you. that's amazing. I I remember like going to get this this film on VHS and I was like, oh my god, I need to get it. And um, that's when my parents kind of found out I was gay because Back then, you will get like these little cards for Blockbuster, and they will show what films you borrow and stuff. And yeah. I borrowed Trick on my dad's Blockbuster card, and he was like, "Nicholas, can you explain what this is?" I was like, "Oh, dad, uh, yeah, uh, uh, um, yeah, it's um, uh, uh, I accidentally borrowed it, so I'm I'm really sorry. Yeah, so I thought was I thought was a comedy. Um, uh, yeah, I'll just take it back." He's like, "Okay, cool, fine," because of course. The people in my, the, the 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 attendant at the block at Blockbuster told my dad, "Oh, hey, your son borrowed this film, and was, what's going on?" And I was like, "God!" So that was one, and that was that was like really? one thing. And of course, my grandparents decided that I need to go to church more because my nan told that I was I may have been possessed by the sins of and Gomorrah. So yeah, <laughs> that was not cool. It wasn't exactly like an exorcism. But they were like, "Hey, so we think you should start going to church more because you know we don't want you to be led astray by the sins of the world,
1: so your family were really traditional, really yeah. religious,
0: yeah, they will and still are well, I mean now they're a bit. More, in now they've like opened up a bit more, and because of the um because the laws what happened back home and stuff with the laws changing, they're a bit more lenient, so I've just googled trick nineteen ninety nine so there's another movie
1: um called trick with this one i've saw the i've just seen the one that you were talking about and yeah yep. ryan reynolds is in it really? and I actually, yeah i think it comes up ryan reynolds i want to see it now i mean there's some really thick guy his torso is incredible i might watch it at some point
0: <laughs> do it do it
1: but um i'll have to have a look around online for it so at what point then did you start to come out to your friends and family
0: i had my first boyfriend at 16 um, oh, I'm so jealous! <laughs> but it was undercover; no one knew, no one knew. Um, everyone knew he was my friend, and um, I was 16 and he was 18. But we were we were young and in love, and it was it was different because it's like we used to have sleepovers all the time, and it used to be really fun. And it was, and then that was the days when we, I didn't have you have, have a cell phone. You have to, he had to have to call he had to call my parents' house whenever he wanted to speak to me. And be like, my, and of course my mom would be like, Why are you on the phone for so long with with, with Akeem? And I was like, Oh my god, I know. And so Bye. how did you guys meet? Um, we met, oh my god, we met through High Five. Do you remember those days? I think I've heard of it. Was it was it social networking? High Five was yeah, High Five was like the days of like MySpace and um Bebo, at those back in those days so hi five was really Hi five was like the, my first ever facebook there was a chat room for guys that was lgbt plus in ad. and um i joined it and akeem messaged me and we just started speaking and then we met up for the first time because he was a model which was really awesome and um yeah he was a model and it was really and he used to like fly over the world and stuff but then he got a bit up in the world in his modeling career and um he had asked me I think I had turned 17 or 18 by now and he asked me to come to on a trip with him abroad and I said hey I really can't because um my mom my parents are gonna be asking me where am I going he's like yeah but you're old now oh no actually I was 17 was like you're he's like you're old enough to travel I was like no I really can't you're older than me and I really can't go and then he was like why I was like because if my parents find out that I'm gay I'm gonna they go it's not gonna end well for me and he's like he needs, he, he's like, he needs to be a bigger person. He had, to, And then we had a massive argument. And he was like, well, they're going to know whether you like it or not for you to come to this trip. And he called my parents and outed me on the phone because he wanted me to come to this trip. Really? That it was by far the, it, Johnny, it was by far the most, oh my God. It was so surreal because you lose that power of telling your own family. Yeah. And it's something that no one could ever the feeling of it. It's cuz you become you you it you kind of your mood changes become fight or flight cuz you have to cuz I had I had all these family members coming at me asking me all these questions and questions and then at the same time I wanted to said to him I love you but look what you've done. And he was like I did this for you. I was like no, you didn't do this for me. You did it for yourself, and um, I got grounded for a month, and I couldn't go anywhere. I had no phone calls. I was being picked up and dropped up at school. I did. I couldn't. I wasn't even going to go um, to see my cousins. I wasn't even going to go to church. I literally had to go to school and come home. And I had no. I had my allowances taken off me. I had my PlayStation taken off me. Couldn't go to drama class. Couldn't go to the choir. Couldn't do anything. All I had to do was just stay home and watch. the the four walls of my house and i cried i was really uh, and it was so weird because i have never felt so robbed in my entire life and my whole world did turn upside down because of course i couldn't speak to him again because my 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 parents told him don't ever call this phone anymore and stuff and um he wasn't allowed to come see me and then his parents and my parents met and then that's when akim's parents found out he was gay and then um he got sent away. They um his parents kicked him abroad and he moved to New York and I never saw him again.
1: My god, that's yeah. such a unbelievable coming out story. That must yeah. have been such a traumatic experience really for you was. to go through. Yeah. To be robbed of that chance for you to come out of the closet yourself yeah. to your parents. I mean that that's not something that nobody should be that no one else should take from you because it's yeah. so deeply, deeply personal. Yeah. And, and then, so on top of that, to compound the situation, you ended up probably being heartbroken.
0: Yeah. I think that what made the coming out, not, not only did he out me to my parents, I couldn't talk to him about how he made me feel. I couldn't, because even though I was really upset and really angry, I was like, I have now lost the trust of my family, but I've also lost my first ever boyfriend. And for Seventeen, that's a lot to handle. And then... Yeah. First cut is the deepest. Yeah, it really is. Isn't that Sheryl Crow? That's one of my favorite songs by the Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it
1: is. Yeah, very old song now, actually.
0: Even though I was robbed at that moment, it never stopped me from being who I am, if you know what I mean. I feel Mm. like even though I was robbed of it, it probably helped me cushion the blow for how society saw me for a bit because... I had to cre- get a tick of skin after that because I had a lot of family members not liking who I am. I I had cousins that didn't speak to me for literally years because they were like, you know, you're bringing shame to the family and stuff. And um, it really it it was quite hard. And um, to this day, which is quite interesting, m- and my stepdad and I don't get along because of my sexuality up to this day. And It's something I don't understand. At 31, I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm like, I left home when I was, like, 21. Like, give me a break. It's because, a lot like, in recent times, the laws have now changed. And, of course, people back home have the ability to come out, and which which is, for me, it's freeing to know, because I know when I lived home and I went through my experiences of coming out, it wasn't great. And there was no safe space for me to go. And I'm so glad that we've come such a long way when it comes to people having places to go.
1: Oh, that no! You've been through so much. You really have had it such a hard time of it, Nicholas, haven't you? Yeah. With your family and the way in which you were outed and everything, and but you, you know, it, as you said, it made you stronger. You weren't crushed by it. Yeah, one
0: hundred percent. I it did it did make me a bit. It did it did make me be like a you no. Know you no, know I will tell you why it has done. When I remember, I was in a situation not too long ago, and there was someone where I work at my old workplace was. Wanted to out someone else because they were angry with him, and I was like, "No, I will literally report you to HR if you do that." Why to would you, they do that? Exactly, and I was like, What's "What your age prop- is this person?" Like twenty, like twenty-two, and the, the reason the reason was is she really fancied him, and because he was interested, okay. and because he was interested in in guys, and ha- didn't tell her, but she was hearing the rumors, she was going to out him, and I was like you cannot do this i will literally report you to hr for this because this is this is not as like you are, you don't have that right to give give take away someone's rights cuz that, that for me that's a human right It's a human right for someone to come out and say if they, if they want to hey i am part of the lgbtq community no matter where yeah. you stand on the spectrum and you i think Anyone who wants to out people, that's not cool. Like, you don't know, yeah. you don't know the rep, you don't know the repercussions that could happen.
1: But yeah, so even
0: though I've, even though I had my human rights taken away from me, I, I will always, I will always, I will always pull people up about issues like this. If, if I see anyone doing it, or I see anyone around me who, who, um, might be cisgendered and, and straight and, or anything like that, I'm going to be like, you cannot do this because you don't, you don't understand the pain. And I, so and I, I can't give someone my entire life. Sorry for them why they shouldn't do it, but I will just say that's not cool. Don't because it happens. It happens a lot in our day still. Like really, yeah. Like I know I don't want to call any names, but I'll just.
1: But like that girl, she. It's no yeah. justification for outing that yeah. guy. But I mean, she. It was an unrequited love thing, and she's yeah. really, really hurting. And then often the human, normal human reaction. Is to kind of meet, you know. She's been rejected, so she wants to, her she wants to hurt him yeah. in some way because yeah. she's hurting herself. But yeah, I mean, it just robs you of something that's so personal and it's yeah. so sensitive, and something that you've, you know, when you're coming out, usually more more than likely, it's most people they've grappled with this on their own for years and years and years, and it's like I obviously haven't didn't experience it in the same degree. That you did, but like mm-hmm. so many people, even adults. When I was growing up, were um, what's the? There's another word. Like they were, they were always suggesting it, or they were digging around yeah. it, yeah. is, and they were always hinting about it. And you look back now, and it's like that's so uncool. Like yeah. it's just, I'm gonna swear now, but it's like nobody's fucking business. Why yeah. would you care what a teenager's or a, or anybody, an adult sexuality is? It's nothing.
0: To do with you at exactly. all? Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And I feel like I feel like we definitely we still have work to do. I think when it comes to sexuality, whether whether it be you know someone coming out as trans or bi or cisgender or pansexual or anything, I think we as a community we still have a lot to do still. And um, because you don't get you don't get issues like these just with straight people, you get with the gays as well. So. I think we definitely have some work to do when it comes to making people feel ready and feel comfortable to, to be themselves.
1: So you mentioned there earlier that you didn't leave home until, when, until you were 21. Yeah. So what happened in those intervening years? You came out, you were outed when you were 18. So what yeah.
0: happened between those years when you were 18 to 21? Um, you know what, Johnny? I actually pretended to be someone else. I still pretended to be someone else. I didn't have laws in place for anyone back home when it came to being part of the LGBTQ plus community. So I was always very, very straight acting. You couldn't. You I didn't. I didn't dress. I didn't because basically how society saw fashion back in Trinidad was if you wear a top that is kind of tight or jeans or skinny jeans or anything like that you're you were you, you were gay and. I didn't okay, want to yeah. draw any attention to myself, so I always dressed the part like I was like a roadman. It's the best way to explain it. Because I was very like gangst like, you know, a whole gangster vibe, trying to like trying to like not bring attention to myself. And if someone will and it was really bad because I feel like because I was because I was scared of what might happen. I think I I didn't make other gay people around me feel good. And up to this day, I don't think I can apologize enough for that because I was so... I I became part of the problem because I was trying to fit in because I didn't want anyone to know who I was. And I look back at that, I think to myself, oh my God, Nicholas, who were you back then? But it's because I because because I was under... On the, on the, it's like a pressure cooker because you're being pressured by society still between those years. And it's like, I didn't... I feel like only when I moved to the UK when I was 21... I finally became it was very much like Gene Gray becoming the Phoenix. That's the best way I could explain it. It's like you know it was there, but you didn't fully evolve until a certain time. Between those seven, between those refining years, between seventeen to twenty-one, I wasn't myself. I wasn't I wasn't a nice person because I was trying to fit into society because of I was told that this is what I should be. And it was hard because I only it's only in recent times that they have places where other LGBTQ people could go and feel comfortable with themselves and talk about the issues and stuff.
1: And that identity that you adopted in your late adolescence, early 20s, I mean, that was a coping mechanism for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I think well, a lot of gay people would really identify with that, with, you know, putting on an image or putting on an act in order to protect themselves.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, well, and and even today, we even even in our society, there is a lot of straight. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of guys out there who um want to come out, and because they they maybe in small villages or workplaces and stuff. Because you know, like example, you you know how it can have workplace banter when guys are like, oh yeah, you gay, whatever, and it's like you and that those little things could really trigger others, like guys who not sure about their sexuality, to go back mm. into them, it'll go back into the closet. So, it must have been really, really liberating when you got to
1: England. So, can you yeah. describe what that was like for you in terms of being a gay man?
0: <laughs> Imagine you told the entire JY club that they were getting free tickets to meet and greet for Kylie Minogue. Yeah. That's the feeling. It. That's the best <laughs> we've <with> it. <Yeah. laughs> It's like you get to meet Kylie, plus you go to a concert. Yay! That's I'm exactly how it is. It was absolute euphoria, and I, I remember the first time I moved to U- the UK, and when I was twenty-one, the first album I bought when I got to the UK, it was The Saturdays. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> because I was in love with, I was just in love with how they were as a band. Because I loved The Spice Giver. when I moved here. I was like The Saturdays, and then I changed my entire wardrobe. Like I was, I discovered what Primark was, and I was like, oh, what's this? And I started a yourself. yeah and then i started shopping at zara h&m and all these all these shops and everything changed and then when i lived i lived in london for the first year when i moved here and um soho became home soho became a mecca and the, the friends that i have made in soho back in those when i first moved here i am still friends with those people 10 oh, years later that's good yeah it's crazy
1: and was that, Nick, was that your main motivation from moving from the Caribbean to yeah. England? Was there other was it professional reasons or educational? Or was it purely so you could live a more open life as a gay man?
0: Um, first and foremost, it was definitely it was definitely for coming out reasons. Um, because I I I know I was f I was really, really depressed and in a very, really bad place mentally about my sexuality and it really put me down in the dumps and I knew if I didn't get away from my home country even though I love it so much I knew back then if I had stayed I probably would not have been who I am today
1: so we'll, we'll, we'll finish off on a light note Nick so mm-hmm. can you tell me about who were your main gay crushes growing up and <laughs> over the years and, and even <laughs> until today <laughs>
0: Any time at all, no time restrictions. I hate you for acting this. Um, <laughs> why? It's my favorite question. I love this question. Uh, I used to like you, Johnny. No, not so much. So, do you want to know who my first, 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 first crush was? Yeah, yeah. So, this
1: was like uh... a, a naughty's crush, was it?
0: Yes, it was Mark Paul Gosseler, who is known as Zach from Save by oh, the Bell. Yeah. I was in love with him. Um, I just thought he he just had those those. Oh, he's just so beautiful, which is really awesome. So that was my first crush. And then, have I'm, you seen him recently? He's dyed yeah. his hair brown. Yeah, I know. I follow I follow him on Instagram. I think, and I'm like, oh my god. And, <laughs> so, you know, I'm still I'm still I'm still so obsessed. Who who do I who do I have a crush on now? You do you know what? I actually do not know. I'm going to. Oh, <laughs> Uh Dua Lipa's dad. Have you ever seen him? Oh yes,
1: I've seen. I've Ugh. seen articles about him.
0: Oh, he's absolutely beautiful. Because I'm a massive Dua Lipa fan, so yeah, she's I'm beautiful. So yes, and it's like her dad is just so. Ex- I can't pronounce his name. is like Du Duca Lu Lipa, and he's he's the meaning of the word daddy, one hundred percent. Dilf. One hundred percent tilt and um, I'm not even afraid to say that. So yeah, so those are my crushes. If I had a bonus crush it'd have to be um Sean Mendes. I think he's kind of cute in a weird way. Oh, is he the Canadian guy? Yeah, he's like Camila Cabello's boyfriend. So yeah, he he got a little cute thing going on. And to know, I'm just crushing on boys I can't have guy, really. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, yeah, tell me about it. Um, so I just googled Dua Lipa, and the second search that came up for her is her dad. Yeah, so let me just see a picture of him. Yeah, yes, what age
0: is he? He, I'm not, I'm not sure, he is a real dad. Yeah, yeah, so he's her dad is like a market, her dad is like a marketing manager or something, but yeah, so. He must be in his forties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's and his his Instagram is even nicer. So I follow him on Instagram as well. Oops. Okay. There you go. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs>
0: Nick, it has been such a pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you yeah. so much for your time. I loved it. Thank you for having me. I I, I love him. Um, it's 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 interesting because usually I every single time I'm on a mic, I'm on the other side, um, speaking with Dan. So for me to be interviewed and for us it's it's different and I'm like oh this is it's different I'm so used to having like cuz we're like Batman and Robin basically so <laughs> it was it's different to be interviewed for something else I'm like
1: oh wow Nick Thank you so much for letting me interview you. I'm so pleased I had you and Dan on the podcast because your both of your coming out stories were really, really interesting. And I've learned a lot from speaking to both of you actually and your different experiences. And so it's been a really enlightening interview for me.
0: Thank you for having me. And I will I don't I, I don't know. I don't know. I think we I think I think one day, Johnny, when Corona's is over i'll take it to, i'll take you to Trinidad so you could experience the food and the culture oh i'd tempting. love that because i'm in love with it now just from like googling it the picture it's paradise it is paradise it is but yeah but thank you for having me i 100% thoroughly enjoyed it it's nice i've never actually told anyone my story so you're the first to know this so
1: oh thank you i
0: feel really honored there you now. go there you go